0: or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today, I'm here with Matthew Owens. Matthew is a CPA, he's flipped uh, over a thousand houses, and has lent uh, $35 million to flippers across the U.S. So. I, I'm actually first of all thank you Matthew for coming on the podcast I'm, no I'm really excited and I appreciate your uh, coming and, and you know giving us your time um, I'm super excited to kind of get into this because I because I actually haven't had a lot of people on the show that you know have been in the, the flipping space mm-hmm. um, so it'll be great to kind of get your get your uh, expertise but but let's just start maybe give us your background a little bit about yourself and, and kind of how you got into into real estate.
1: Yeah, no problem. It's 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 the fun fluctuations of real estate that got me here. So, uh, I uh, I quit my CPA firm job in 2006, just kind of banging my head against a computer, going, "I can't do tax and audit anymore." And I took some real estate classes that I spent like 16 grand on, of course, you know, just like everybody does, you know, at least at that time, you know. And uh, and uh, I ended up getting my first deal under contract and quit my CPA firm job just was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. My mind was gone and, you know, thinking, oh, I'll have time to go to the gym. No problem. You know, but (laughs) realizing you're working 14 hour days in the beginning to to grind and really push and get this thing going. right? Right. And, um, so I quit my CPA firm job in 2006 and then was, uh, real estate genius for about a year and a half before I got my ass handed to me and punched in the face by the real estate market crash of 08. And, you know, I thought I was, you know, my ego was, hey, I have a 790 credit score. And, you know, we, my books are done. So as a CPA, I thought that, hey, I must be doing good as a business if my books are done, right? right? But the things you don't know about running a business, you kind of Normally at that stage you're more of a technician than anything else, right? Um, and uh, versus a true entrepreneur or a business owner at that point that has that multiple hat scenario. Um, but since then, you know, after the crash happened, I grinded and kept going at it, um, went and got an, had an office at home for a long time and uh, basically went through and and started flipping and doing joint ventures and different strategies with investors. And I took out 290 grand or 200 grand on my credit cards to make sure my investors got paid back during the crash and you know, hunkered down, tried to make it float, and ended up losing everything when that happened. But after that happened, my investors were, obviously appreciative and saw what i did for them 6 months later after they realized the market really did crash you know uh, <laughs> right. and um but you know we then we ended up that kind of catapult catapulted us into being able to now flip you know now it's actually over 1500 houses i just say a thousand because i stopped counting you know but um <laughs> right. We, uh, we also, in addition to that, that led us to, uh, you know, through our networking and relationships through our nonprofit that we teach, we have a, a nonprofit that we teach financial education and real estate education uh, called For Investors, Buy Investors uh, here based in Southern California. And through that, we developed all the relationships we need for our business, which is a lot of capital sources, a lot of operators, a lot of, you know, resources, which is what real estate's all about, right, is those resources. And so we started being able to raise, more capital and then lend that capital out to flippers in different markets around the country. And now we're at over 35 million lent out to flippers in different markets. And it's actually one of our primary businesses. We've slowed down quite a bit, you know, from flipping five to 10 houses a month consistently, you know, down to one to two a month right now. And even I think the last few months we stopped for the minute because interest rates are rising and just trying to get a gauge for the market and be careful and make sure that we clean off our plate from the 50 flips we have going or 50 flips and holds all at the same time you know and so um you know we we started lending capital and now we do this lending to different different flippers and do joint ventures on those flips and holds with different investors all across the country and we kind of did the same thing on the multifamily side, where we're going out and doing a couple of value add multifamilies on an annual basis, usually heavy construction type stuff, um, where we can really make the, you know, equity, the built in equity, you know, work r- right by getting a major value add there and getting that forced appreciation in place. Um, <clears throat> and then we raise a lot of capital from uh, investors in Japan and China and here in the US for our debt fund that we have that we lend the capital out of. Uh, and then we, also invest in a lot of outside syndications. You know, there's a place for your active investments, which is important to do as an operator and know that, be how to be a technician on the operation side of real estate, sure. so that it makes you a better passive investor too. Which is super important to have that passive investment aspect where we invest in other multifamilies, self storage, mobile home parks, you know, uh, marijuana related deals, um, other debt deals, and all types of different stuff where I diversify my portfolio into different asset classes, different markets of the country, and different operators, so that I can have a truly diversified portfolio. So if somebody goes to Mexico on me, then, you know, some operator, they bounce on me to another country or something that I'm not significantly financially harmed by that one operator. So I love that strategy. And so I do that a lot inside my own 401k inside or outside my 401k as well. And, you know, from the tax side of things, we kind of, made a name for ourselves by being able to help people strategize on that side because I'm a CPA and being able to literally line up properties for people's 1031 exchanges, help them front load tax benefits through cost segregation studies and things like that uh, on different assets that we can provide and providing truly turnkey assets to investors that just want to be passive and we go through and be the operations partner and structure it for tax purposes for them and structures like that. To be able to really make their investments pop so you can tell i like doing this stuff you know can, my wife doesn't let me talk about real estate anymore so she's like stop it that's enough uh,
0: yeah. she, i'm sure that that probably gets old to, to her if she's not yeah. uh you know sort of in the space my wife feels the same she's like i think sick of me talking about it but but you get i mean you do you get once you kind of realize the power and you get you get passionate about it, right? So it's like you know, and you want to talk to everybody, and it's like, well, of course, you it's uh, natural like to that. talk to talk to your family as well. So, yeah. I, I mean, I I love that. I love I love the, uh, the your and I will maybe come back to it, but that you're talking about sort of how you've diversified your own portfolio because I think that's a really great strategy that I do want to dive into more. But but before we get there, um, maybe we'll just go sort of chronologically. So, I think, you know, coming from a background as a CPA, you've got, you know, everybody has their, you know, previous life skill that they bring into real estate. You know, it seems like almost nobody just starts life as a real estate investor. They're (laughs) like, I was doing some other thing and then I came in this. And so, you know, that obviously you have a a strong background in sort of financial modeling and and kind of how, you know, how things are going to work from a tax standpoint, but even just looking at, uh you know profit and loss statements and balance sheets and and mm-hmm. understanding the financials of these real estate deals and and they look different depending on what asset class you're talking about you know you're if you're flipping or you're investing in multifamily or whatever but when when you made that switch you know that you you first went you you started as a flipper and so had you had any any construction any anything, you know, kind of along the lines of the operational side of things when you went into that?
1: So actually, no, I I was completely green and made, made every mistake in the book. I like to say after flipping a thousand houses, I've learned a thousand ways to lose money on a house, you know, so, and in reality, that's how it works until like, Honestly, 10 years in, you find new things, the ways to lose money on things that, you know, but really, after a while, if it's a smaller chunk of money or something, you 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 go through and, you know, let those things kind of go off your shoulder. And it's a mental thing where you're like, no focus, make more money. Let's go do more volume. There's going to be some losers across the board and focus on that aspect. But at the end of the day, you have to teach yourself through through uh, your own education of doing it, plus just talking to a lot of other asset managers and people that are in the in the space and networking with people with more experienced to understand how they do their operations and then document the process so that that way it can be done correctly. Because I think a lot of people go through this and they don't document the process. They don't go through and, you know, really outline the clear vision of what needs to be done to protect yourself on, you know, the individual property level on, you know, the structure level as a whole, for example, on these syndication deals on, you know, a lot of different aspects of the flip or hold cycle that goes into that, you know, for, from start to end on that process. So there's a lot, ton of little things from the initial acquisition and the analysis of that piece, which we've developed because I'm a CPA, you know, really awesome quick analysis spreadsheets where you can put in <laughs> five numbers and you know if it's going to work or not for a flip for you or not, you know, um, or a hold long term for cash flow, too. So there are strategies like that that we've been able to develop to make things easier across the board for our team members, because some of this stuff takes some special knowledge, right? How do, you de- how do you analyze a property? But how, do, more importantly, how, how are you picking your comps in your area? Are you doing it like an appraiser is going to do it? What's it going to look like for financing? And if there's nothing available for financing, what are your additional options with that asset that you can utilize? You know, Is there financing in place already? Can you seller finance the deal? Can you utilize private investor capital on that deal? Does it cash flow well enough to not need the back-end financing? financing associated with it. So like there's little things like that and the intern on the beginning part when you're first starting to, you know, find these deals, operate them, the operational flow of, hey, you got a lead in, you better get to that property immediately and get your rehab bid, get the contract ready and better know every way that you can help that homeowner because no matter what, whether you're, you know, whatever you're buying, whether it's a property or a multifamily or or, you know, another, you know, another type of deal, um if you can't help the seller with price or other options out there, you're not getting the deal. Simple as that, right? And so you got to be armed with ways to be able to help that seller, whether it's, Hey, I got your relocation money. Oh, I can save your credit and catch you up on payments. And there's like a million little things that would help that homeowner out so that that way they are more willing to work with you on that deal. And then it's the process you get the lead, analyze the deal, get out there immediately, get the contract and the rehab bid right away, you know, all, all handled at the same time with your documentation in place, you know, as well, and uh, making sure you're not forgetting anything on the rehab, you know, uh, including buffers in this market with inflation, buffer like crazy, you know, across the board, at least 15 to 20 percent on all your rehabs because. Yeah. Things are not what they cost six months ago, you know, no,
0: it seems to be changing like (laughs) daily sometimes.
1: Yeah. So, so it's a matter of that operational piece, understanding, Hey, what is the operation on the property acquisition side. um, What is also the operation on the renovation management side? And this goes into multifamily or any other asset class as well. What is your operation and your processes on the property management side and the operation side? And then also the capital side and the capital stack on the debt and raising money from investors. What's your structure look like and things like that. And being a CPA, I kind of became a specialist at that asset structuring side of things, where I've built these financial models. And so it helps to be able to now go into outside syndications and understand the numbers and the financial projections and the assumptions that are used to determine if, hey, is that is that comfortable for me did they use a 3% inflation rate on income and nowadays keep that same expense for or keep that same inflation rate for expenses which really maybe it should be 10 to 15% for expense inflation now you know little intricacies like that that you learn as an operator that kind of play into the uh the the review of an of another outside deal that you can invest in then
0: yeah and <laughs> for people listening to this and take note of how you very casually just rattled off like, <laughs> sorry, almost everything you need to think about in like in flipping houses in multifamily analysis. Yeah. Like, I mean, you just very. <laughs> <and> so yeah. <laughs> it's very clear that you're that you've you know flipped uh, over fifteen hundred houses. That like you're you're and so but but some of those things that you just kind of laid out there like it was nothing like those those are those are big deal items and, and, you know, sort of important things to look at and, and very unlikely that someone's going to come in and, and be able to understand all of that off the bat. Right. right? You have a, a lot of years of experience. You, you started as a CPA, like there there's so, so people listening maybe need to just understand that they, <laughs> you've got a very high level of, of, experience and knowledge in this, in the real estate space in general. And I think one of the things that I loved about your story is you said, you know, when we had the the crash in 08, you went in and you made sure your investors were taken care of. And I am 100% sure that that has hugely benefited you in terms of your your success over the years Mm -hmm. since then, because any Anything you're doing in the real estate space, if you're raising capital from other people, like now your shift, your focus of what's the number one priority needs to become that. Right. And so all other decisions are based with that in mind. Right.
1: You're looking at where's that left hook going to come from again, and how do I protect my investors and structure these deals so that that way they don't lose money. And I've taken multiple hits for my investors in the past, and it's just the right thing to do because I know how to make it back. I have a story about when I was about to lose um 60 grand on a, on a deal. like I just basically wasn't working out on a multifamily. The deal was much, much uh, bigger rehab than I thought it was on a 12-unit deal that I was buying that was older. Uh, and I should have known better. It was older uh, type of property. And I, you know, thought a few of the major systems were okay based on, you know, yeah. And then plumbing's (laughs) falling apart and fun stuff like that. But, and I, and I remember being upset about it and going, you know, telling my wife, like, you know, I'm having a hard time with this, just stressing out a little bit. And then the next day I made a, a, a clear decision in my mind to know I'm gonna find a way to make this back immediately. Like, how do I, what deal do I need to do? What activity and action items do I need to do right now to make this back? And literally the next like two days, I got a deal that I made $70,000 on, on uh, like a wholesale flip for another multifamily that I did. And, um made it back. And at that point is when your mindset starts shifting, where you're saying, no, it's the faster you get from, holy crap, I'm stressed and I'm dealing with this to focus on income, find a way to make it happen. And don't ever let that happen again. And what's the procedure to fix that? So it doesn't happen. Now let's go through and focus on making this money back. You realize how fast that can shift your mindset. And when I think about that, I have that skill set now after taking multiple, multiple punches in the face and earning my stripes for sure. My humbleness is like, you know, like another level here, you know? So, but when it comes to that, you know, aspect, a lot of other people that are trading their money for uh you know for time still at a at a job you know it's what they want to do and, and maybe they're happy maybe they're not happy and they're looking for a way out but it takes them a lot longer to earn that money back and so in my eyes you're really taking away hours of their life if you lose that money that they've earned by taking yeah. their hours and so if you look at it from that level of respect it changes your whole perspective because hours of your life was literally the most important thing there is, you know? So, but anyways, but yeah, like that, it changes you inherently when you go through something like that. And like I said, like I was saying, I, you know, I don't think it, it was really a, a decision that I had to make at that time. It was a, there's no way I can't let my investors lose my money, lose their money. You know, like, I just got to do this, you know, like, it was no question at the time, you know, so maybe it was my dad and me that won't even, uh, that won't even let me like cheat on my taxes, you know, <laughs> you know that kind of thing. So, <laughs> yeah. It,
0: it, yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes, you know, you you know, you're probably either born with or raised with that sort of mentality, or you're not. Right. Like it's it's kind of a you know, there are certainly uh, unfortunately unscrupulous people out there that that maybe don't have that same level of character and respect for for and you put it perfectly. Right. Like this is when people you know, when we're talking about like multifamily syndication, a lot of times a minimum investment is fifty thousand dollars. Right. That might be like a year's worth of salary for someone or or like. A, a, that's a big chunk of money they worked really hard right. to get to that to be able to put into your syndication like right you, you damn well better put them first like you, you you better be thinking about how i can you know wh- how can i make this work for them and and so it, it, i think that and and that will serve you if you always come at it with that mentality that will serve you because 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 they're gonna they're gonna Appreciate that they're going to respect you for that. They're going to realize, like, hey, this guy really cares about where I put my money, and it'll. It, in turn, they'll want to continue to invest with you. So it it mm-hmm. it's a win all around.
1: I think I think that one of the biggest mistakes newer investors make when they're raising capital is not knowing how to do their homework right on the deal so that that way they can adequately protect their investors. So if they're not, if they're too green uh, and, you know, a lot of people are just hungry, they're great. I'll raise money from friends, family, people that I, you know, I care about and, you know, other people that I don't know that uh, may not have a full understanding of what you're actually doing, but they're investing with you out of trust for the most part. And like 90% of people invest with you out of trust, except for the 10% of investors that really know what they're doing, that are really going to vet the crap out of you and do what they're, what they should do. Right. Um, And uh, at the end of the day when when it comes down to it if you don't if you don't know how to protect your investors capital you better you better go get that advice from someone who does because mm-hmm. like like i said that's trading their their money and time right there for the, for that time you know and and it's really um an unfortunate thing because a lot of people lose people's money just out of ignorance or thinking I got to get this deal I'm hungry let's go get it and you're like wait a minute take that step back if you don't know the legalities of raising capital if you don't know all the all the uh, due diligence on that deal to make sure every piece of paperwork and the deal's underwritten correctly and all that stuff every way possible to protect them then stop take a moment, go get outside advice from people that are way more experienced to you before you go raise that money so that you don't put yourself in a position. Because in that case, when I lost the money and gave them, uh, get, got my investors money back, I had the resources to do it. And so I was able to. A lot of people just don't have the resources to do it. They are not able to. It doesn't make them bad people. They just can't You know, uh, help investors. And so I think that's really crucial uh, is take that step back and get educated before you start raising money from other outside investors um, because it's a big deal you know so yeah
0: Yo, absolutely absolutely um, I wanted to talk a little bit about you know you mentioned sort of how you like to diversify your portfolio and you're kind of you have your own investments and then you're investing with other people in in, in sounds like kind of almost everything um, which I think is a is a great strategy and you know pe- people talk a lot about diversification and sometimes that means That I invest in stocks, and I also invest in real estate, and I also invest in crypto. Sometimes it means I invest in multifamily, but in different markets with different operators. So, so diversification, I think, means I don't know something something different to to everyone. Um, Your your definition earlier of of diversification almost maybe even seems more diversified than most people, even when they're saying that. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I guess what? First of all, when you're are you when you're flipping? Because you, you said you're in Southern California. Yes, where, where but 100%. I don't I don't
1: flip here at all. So I don't. Okay, do that's what I was going to ask. California.
0: Are you are you doing any of your deals here in Southern California? or are you sort of uh, I, I, doing I that do remote?
1: I do all of my deals out of state. I do zero business in California. The only reason I'm here is I have family here, and I, and I don't really pay taxes because I know a lot of tax strategies, you know, <laughs> so right. uh, to, to right. mitigate that risk. But yeah. but yeah, I do these in other markets.
0: Okay. Okay. So yeah, you're you're not. Uh, that that was one thing I was curious about. If you were sort of flipping locally, or you, you're doing this all over the place, where do you focus? Do you have um, spe- specific markets the, you like?
1: A lot of the Midwest markets. I invest in Memphis, St. Louis, Little Rock, uh, Kansas City, uh, Georgia, North Carolina, Texas. So probably. F- okay. 20 30 different states at this point that we're investing in and have teams and things like that and in these different markets around the country. So it takes time to develop these team members and quality team members that are going to perform every time as well, you know, of course. So um, but yeah, we do this all over the country. It's it, it takes a little while to, to learn how to not get stolen from, but you learn sure. and then you get stolen from again and learn some more stuff. Right. You know? So
0: <laughs> it's 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 just a series of uh problems arising that you then you're you're focused on the solution to. Um, I, think it makes I sense. mean,
1: real estate is solving problems, right? So, if you can't solve problems, like every day, there's at least five or six problems that come up that need to be solved in one way, shape or form from very minuscule to a bigger deal and, you know, changing focus and figuring it out and sitting there and thinking about the problem for a while and how to solve it. Right. So yeah. um, and if you can't solve problems, you have no business being in real estate because that's the point of, of real estate in itself.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that takes exactly basically the, the definition of of value add, right, is you, right. You're just you're solving whatever the problem is, whether that's a management problem or a structural problem or, you know, right. it, whatever the problem is, you're figuring out a way to solve it and then and then create value by doing that. So that that's really the, the point. Right. So, you know, on the on the note of diversification. So how, how do you. It seems like that's a lot of different things to, I guess, have. Enough knowledge in to feel comfortable in investing in in all those different spaces. So is that something like you've developed over time and and you you're sort of adding to the portfolio as you go in in different areas, or you're just you just know that much about everything or you're yeah,
1: sort of- <laughs> yeah, I wish. yeah, so. So at the end of the day, I started off just flipping and holding. Okay, flipping properties and holding properties, primarily single family homes through fourplexes and things like that. And then started doing some multifamilies. And as I gained wealth over time by doing those strategies, those active strategies, I started investing passively in other opportunities and raising capital for those other opportunities and things like that across the board. And so I'll give you my idea of diversification across the board as it pertains to real estate in general. I typically don't invest very much in stocks. I put some money in gold and silver miners. I put some money on the side in gold and silver as an insurance policy primarily um, for the collapse of the dollar that we all know is happening at this point, right? So a lot of this is knowing and understanding what's happening in the overall market. And plus, I don't wanna be so heavily invested in real estate, which I am because I'm a specialist at this. So I think was it Warren Buffett or something that said something about, you know, if you're a specialist, you don't need to diversify or some yeah, crazy thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, Which is, is smart. But at the same time, also, you know, he's diversified, too. You know, so right. but once <laughs> right. once you get to a certain point, then you start to diversify your assets at that at that point. And so I think it's important for every investor to have these types of attributes, right? The insurance policies that I'm talking about and gold and silver and other miners and other value-add commodities and things like that that you may find valuable through your own research or, you know, another broker's research that you trust and have vetted that broker. And I'm not talking Fidelity and Schwab's and those types of guys. I'm talking about really good people that know their stuff, you know? So, um, and not to put the dig out there, but, you know, we know how all that works, right? Sorry,
0: Fidelity and Schwab guys.
1: Yeah, yeah, sorry. Guys, so but you you get my point as far as um, uh, being able to put that insurance side uh, aside, and then also investing in some active operational things, right? So these flips and these holds. They don't pay you right away. The flips take six months to get going or finished and sold and yeah. get your money back. And so if you have a cycle going, it can be a great income stream coming in to you know get your income going, but you're doing volume there. It takes expenses to run that type of business. It's a whole nother business flipping and holding, you know, on that side. But you start to develop your cash flow slowly. I look at the property side of things as the holds as a very small piece of cash flow with some major equity build and major wealth formation over a long period of time which is what those are in the beginning you know the projections everything you can cash flow at you know 6 to 10% plus sometimes depending on the deal and the financing in place uh for on the cash flow side of things and then being able to go through and Gain, uh, principal reduction, and you know, and tax benefits, and the appreciation of the asset. You know, you've seen this obviously since you know the last ten years. Obviously, the major run up in 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 wealth associated with. These types of assets. So investing some is in those types operationally, I think is important, so that you can create additional income streams that are coming in. If you want to do that, you can always go sell education courses or do something else for or keep a job, right, for right. your active income that's coming in over here. And then it comes down to, and that also helps build your your portfolio, so that you have enough cash to invest over here in a lot of the passive stuff. Um, where I invest in debt, so I get more consistent cash flow streams for investing in debt versus investing directly into properties in itself, which is more volatile. right? Um, and so you can more predict that debt instrument. And it's usually short-term construction loans that I'm investing in, which is one of the reasons I got into that that space is because I can make cash flow spreads. I can make crazy returns. I did a deal inside my own 401k. There was a $500,000 loan that my 401k lent to a flipper at a 14% interest rate. Okay, It was 12% and a point every six months, and and basically he used it for a year, an entire year. So my on my five hundred grand, uh, I was I made basically seventy thousand dollars on uh, on that on that deal. And my four hundred one k then borrowed four hundred and fifty thousand dollars at an eight percent rate from one of my private investors. So my fifty grand left in the deal, I made a sixty eight percent return on my money. And so you start to see the strategies like that that you can develop out of the note business, and it becomes really apparent this is why all the super experienced guys go to the note business you know quite right. a bit you know right. so Um, And then so we got the flipping and the active stuff over here on the flipping and holding the note side of things for more consistent cash flow. And then the syndication side for more diversification and passive, because you can't just keep doing more active stuff unless you have, you know, CEO level people that you're going to hire in place to do those things and manage those things as a true business where you can take that step back and be the business owner, which takes time to do and develop the skill set to do also. Right. And so I like investing in those passive opportunities because, like I said, you can take all types of different asset classes from multifamily to uh, to mobile homes, self-storage, the marijuana deals, Bitcoin mining funds, um, uh, ATM machine funds. All types of different stuff that you can put your capital into and develop these passive cash flow streams that you're really just getting quarterly reports. And yes, you want to review your reports. You want to do a lot of due diligence on the front end of these things and background checks on the on the operators and the team. Make sure you understand the financial assumptions. You're doing the borrower, due, the the in, the operator due diligence, the property due diligence, and the structure and the deal due diligence on these syndications. But it's a great strategy because. If you have a million dollars, for example, all spread apart across fifty thousand dollars investments and tons of different syndications that are making you you know seven to nine or ten percent on your money or six to ten percent on your money consistently in cash flow you're doing great from a diversification standpoint in that realm. Uh, but like I said, I think, it, and then we do the big multifamilies where we're getting bigger equity chunks by doing bigger projects and doing major value add. Our last deal was in Little Rock that we just converted a 15 unit into 18 units, and we we're into it for about 2.2 million. It's worth about 3.6 now, all rented to traveling nurses and things like that, all furnished and brand new building, uh, You know, and uh, we're holding it right now for the cash flow. And so these are the strategies that we developed over time to Kind of look at these from a bucket standpoint on the strategies that you want to deploy and the types of education that you want to learn about those types of strategies so that you can say, okay, I want to learn this about flipping and holding and I want to learn this about multifamily and this about notes and this about the syndication side. So, and it's, you can see it, it's primarily related around real estate other than those syndications and things like that and my insurance policies on the gold and silver and the miners mm-hmm. and things like that on that side. And I, I get a lot of my information from uh, some economics guys. After taking that punch in the face in 2008, I became an economics major then, even though I was already an economics major at Santa Barbara. Uh, uh, I went to UC Santa Barbara and became an accountant because they didn't have architecture school there. And I want and I didn't want to leave because there was too many girls. That was my train of thought at the time. And I was like, let me just become a CPA then. That's I'll do a, a accounting with a, an emphasis and an economics with emphasis and accounting major. It was like, okay, you know, the things you think about when you're 18, right? Right, right. So, right, right. That, um,
0: exactly when everyone should be deciding the fate of their lives at, at 18.
1: <laughs> yeah. So and and that's that's where you know my mindset comes from when it comes to these different diversification angles. I don't really necessarily invest in stocks and and bonds that much. Um I don't I don't trust them. I feel like I don't have control over those assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I do some of these other investments uh even in the syndication space you're giving up that control to be properly diversified which is great. I mean you can say the same thing about stocks except a lot of the brokerage houses make money whether you're making money or not and take a big chunk of your money in fees especially mutual funds and those types of things that it's it's hard for me to believe in that model anymore you know what i mean yeah, so sure. yeah. yeah and i,
0: I want to emphasize right here that anybody listens who listens to this episode like you you just took us to school and it, and it, and understand like go back listen to it slow it down and listen to everything you just threw out there like, is effectively almost what everyone should be, what everyone's goal should be, right? So you, you said it. you have to have some active active income stream, and if you know, if that's in real estate, great, if it's not, like, that's fine. like have a job. but but then you're working your way up to the level of diversification that you have now. And important to note, like you didn't start this yesterday. Right, like you, you started two thousand six. It's that's sixteen years of you know sort of building this, uh, right. these businesses, building this portfolio, and so the the ability to have those levels of diversification and things like it it comes with time, and it it will get easier and easier to then decide. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna put some money in this Bitcoin fun, uh, mining fund. I'm gonna you know what, whatever it is, you can build all these things into your strategy and and right. create that diversi- diversification. But but you started by flipping houses. You started by flipping a house, right? Like that's the right. beginning. And, and so ugh. you know, kind of what you've gained in knowledge over that time is is remarkable. But like, I don't I don't want people to listen and like get scared off because you have so much <laughs> so think, much knowledge that that they I want them to understand like everybody starts somewhere.
1: Right. And I, I think people limit themselves, you know, hearing all this and it took, you know, 15 years for me to get to where I'm at, you know, right. doing this full time, taking every punch in the face there is, you know, and learning my lessons and going through all kinds of different, you know, crap with as a business owner, of course. And right. you know, you, you, you become very strong doing that. But at the same time, remember, you, you don't always have to go through every trial and tribulation as an operator like that. And you also don't ever have to limit yourself by your own capital. If you think about this, if you were to raise $10 million, which is a lot of money, but you were able to do a $1 million a year for 10 years, uh, and you were able to go through and implement that money and make a 2% spread on that money for private investor capital for helping his operations and things like that, that's too- $200,000 a year passive for the rest of your life, if that's the case, you know, if you're able to do that, right? And so that replaces your job for most people, right? And so, um, so looking at it from that scale of things... Don't ever limit yourself saying, damn, I got 50 grand or I got a couple hundred grand. That's never going to get me there, you know, as far as covering your monthly expenses with cash flow. Um, but at the same time, realize, like, you know, I make money all the time off of other people's money consistently, just like I mentioned to you guys in uh in the um the note deal inside my 401k. I was making 34000 dollars a year net out of. Fifty thousand dollar investment, and so if I did that times three, I got you know one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. Four, uh, you know, a big chunk yeah. of money times four. You know, I'm I'm covered completely at over a hundred thousand a year in in cash flow there just from doing that alone with a couple of deals, right? So you know, four yeah. five hundred thousand dollar deals like that where I got a couple hundred grand. So realize you uh, over time you can leverage other people's money and. Learn how to do this. You just got to go through the stripes on your own first, or with someone that's very experienced with capital and utilizing you as an operating partner to help with that transaction if you don't have that experience or the capital in place, or find another way to bring value to the table. Find the deal, find capital, work as an operator and managing the project as a whole, manage the managers, use your skill sets to help with that deal. And I I'd have to tell you the biggest and most important thing that everybody here could be doing to really increase their net worth is to immediately go network as much as possible. In the beginning, the first two, three years, I was going to four networking events a week for two years to three years, every single week meeting new people. And not only that, but tracking them and putting them in a database to market to them and talk to them later and you know do that type of stuff so that I could follow up with them because nobody follows up either so if you were to be the ones that do that you will get a much higher conversion rate and after like the 12th time of meeting somebody at the same networking event they trust you implicitly uh, psychologically you know uh, whether they should or not is another thing but you know um i'm just letting you guys know that like that strategy i wish i was doing that in my early 20s before i quit my you know cpa firm job is networking more i just didn't see the value in bringing business to a firm that I would get a percent a year off of and you know of, of the net income it just didn't right. make a sense you know so but um but that's super important for your own wealth building is that relationship development and resource development and all you're doing you're not going out there trying to trying to get things for yourself you're going out there talking to everybody saying what are your needs what can what what will help you in your business writing it down taking a mental snapshot or and finding ways to help them with your other resources so that's all you're doing if you do that over and over again you're you're helping just like uh what was it um think and grow rich where he was saying do more service than uh than you'll you're you're paid for doing that initially in this business pays for itself a thousandfold so yeah. if you just go out and help people the business will come to you automatically. Now deals just come to me all the time. Like I don't even have to market at all anymore. They just come to me and I it's because I, I like to say it's mentally happening, you know, but I, it's it's long-term relationships and slow yeah. steady, you know, doing what I say I was going to do all the time and just going out and helping people without expectation of anything in return, you know. Right.
0: So right. And I mean like those are I mean essentially good life skills to have in general, right? It just, right. you know, sort of helping people and, and doing what you say you're going to do. And it, you know, I, I think a lot of people think, oh, it's, you know, it takes too long or whatever. I mean, 15 years really like to to lots of people will work in a job for 40 years. Right. Like that's that's normal. People will do that. They work 15 years to do what you've done and create the businesses that you've had and and the the uh you know kind of like you as you said like you could be completely passive if you wanted to and be fine right, right? at this point like you would right. you would be financially you have that freedom so it's just like again i just i really i really appreciate you sharing all this cuz i think this is like huge just steps that people can take really little steps that can amount to a huge Level of success and and right. ultimately you know like you said forming relationships and and I think the other thing that's that's really important that that isn't the case for most people you 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 as a CPA that's different but like understanding how money works understanding that these things are available to you understanding that you could do that deal in your four hundred one k and like anybody can do that right that's, like that's I, I not think,
1: I, I think it's also you know it, I, I didn't know how money really worked. Even after getting my CPA license, working at a CPA firm, I learned how to analyze people's financials and understand the inner workings of a business there. But at the end of the day, true financial education came after the fact, after taking that punch in the face and learning my lessons the hard way and realizing this is the right structure and I need to keep learning. And it really comes down to a never ending desire to learn and get better and be a better person be better at everything you possibly can and you know and also not beat yourself up when you can't do it sometimes because everybody eats that twinkie sometimes or that other thing they shouldn't be (laughs) doing you know and uh, it's just it's just a matter of like you know some people beat themselves up too much and then it stops them from moving forward you got to be able to let that crap go and say look i'm I'm a, I'm stupid. Sometimes I don't do the right thing. Sometimes, yeah, even though yeah. I know, I, I know what I should be doing. I have my list of affirmations right here on my desk. You know, every day I read them and every day I do a quarter of them. Yeah, so, you
0: know, <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you have to be okay. You have to allow yourself mistakes. You have to allow right. yourself to, to not be perfect to grow. Right. If, right. if, if it, if it always has to be perfect you'll never grow because you're you'll you'll stop when you're not perfect. You'll just right. you'll kind of give up on it. So
1: and it's it's that slow, steady pressure forward. It's yep. not going to get there overnight. It's a slow, steady every day doing something every day, focusing on accomplishing one thing and also really coming down to what is your real vision. Right. Um, and, you know, kind of the whole point of your podcast is what's your why and what's your vision. Mm-hmm. And when you realize, hey, What's my vision? There's a book called Vision Tra- or Traction that goes over the Vision mm-hmm. Traction Organizer, which makes you break down: Where do I want to be in ten years? Okay, what do I need to do in three years to get to that point? And that ten-year goal you're writing down: I want 100 houses producing me $100 a month or $500 a month in cash flow. I want X amount. You know, detailing out the exact mental picture, and then saying: What do I need to do in to, at the three-year mark to get to that ten-year goal? What do I got to do in a year? What do I got to do in six months? three months, the court, you know, that one month and back down to the month in the day to take action every day on that goal and focus on that specific goal, I think is probably the most important thing anybody can do. When you write it down, you, you're able to visualize it completely and be able to focus on it. And then it's that slow, steady. Okay. I got these five things. Damn it. I didn't get that thing done. Let me put that on my plate today and push it forward, you know, and, and consistently put that pressure,
0: you know, <laughs> So. Yeah, no, absolutely. And since you brought it up, let's let's sh- shift gears here, and we'll get to, I'll get to the part where I get to ask you some the questions I ask every guest. And the first one is, uh, of course, based on the name of the show being Know Your Why. But but what is your why, Matthew? What what pushes you forward?
1: So I I was sitting at my CPA firm. You know, thinking that, hey, I got a good job, you know, my ego, I'm a CPA, I got a college degree, you know, none of that shit means anything at the end of the day, you know. Um, I could, there's a lot of stupid CPAs and people with that have college degrees that are morons, you know. Right, right, so, yeah. uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I was bored out of my mind going, this is not my personality. This is what, the system groomed me to do and, you know, get a good job, go to college, all that stuff. And I was like, I can't do tax and audit anymore. This is the most boring thing to me sitting there doing this repetitive crap every year, helping the government steal our money, you know, and stuff <laughs> like that. Well, really trying to help my clients not let the government steal their money, right, but right. you know, <laughs> filing it for them, you know? So, yeah. um, but, and, and then I, I realized I'm like, I started reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is what the book changed my complete mindset and realized oh my God, if I don't make a change and start building assets that it's and working towards building these assets that create passive cash flow for me over a period of time, I'm going to be a slave my entire life. I'm constantly going to be trading my time for money for the rest of my life. And do I want to do that until I'm 60? Or do I want to have my freedom? Like last week, I I worked from Joshua Tree and worked from camping uh, out which I didn't work a lot you know I have to say <laughs> but you know I was on a on a lake up in American River a river up in American uh, up in Sacramento area the, the American River and just like you know s- hanging out with my kids got a couple hours of work done showed my my son how to you know carve a knife out of a stick and you know he's 6 years old so sorry I'm a bad parent you know so <laughs> but <laughs> but you know it's no. it's that you got to build the life you want so that you can go and I can travel anywhere now and work from anywhere I want. I closed mm-hmm. my office 8 months before the whole pandemic happened, uh mostly to cut overhead and 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 live from work from home and work from where I want because I have a 6-year-old and a 3-year-old that I want to spend time with and I don't want to be sitting there constantly, you know, gone every day because we were told when we were kids and the whole system was go to work from nine to five every single day, you know, and you have to drive there and get there. And it's just a big waste of time, you know? So, but anyways, so you get my point. That's the whole why is like, if you don't do it, what's the consequence is you'll never have your freedom. And so you almost have to, and then once you start learning the strategies to do it, like that 68% deal that i just mentioned mm-hmm. like when you see that you can get excited about that and it helps a ton when you're like okay i got one piece of cash flow i'm making 100 dollars a month great i'm going to pay my cell phone bill with that for the rest of my life and focus on each little win, one at a time, till every single expense is covered, and do your mortgage or your rent last, you know, of course, so that that one's gone. Or if you really find a good deal, maybe you can kick that out in one multifamily. And really, your only limitation is your own mindset. I got a buddy of mine that, um, or I, I, it's an acquaintance, not full buddy. I, I've talked to him a few times, and he was in a mastermind group, but he, um, he, he bought a, he bought a private Island. He owns like 3,500 units. He is he bought a giant resort that basically, uh, he's doing masterminds out of and things like that. And it just is a constant reminder that, Hey, maybe I'm not thinking big enough. I need to go after 500, 600 unit apartment deals and things like that. And focus on that realm because the bang for your buck is more. And, you know, it's just constantly being around those types of people and realizing that, Hey, your mindset is the only thing stopping you across the board from, achieving it immediately there's a strategy to completely get financial freedom in one deal you just got to think about how to do it and figure out what what it is
0: you know so yeah that's true i uh, 100 agree 100 agree i think it, it's that it, yeah it's your mindset is the only thing holding you back because it, it's right It's it's obviously it's all possible because people are doing it Right. Right. People are people are doing it. People are 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 reaching this these levels of success and and uh, in whatever they want to. It's just you know. So it it can be done. You just have to figure out how that works for you. So I, I love that. Um, Second question. Tell us tell us something about yourself that uh, isn't common knowledge. uh, You know, special skill, a hobby. I don't know. Even something you want to learn that that you're comfortable sharing.
1: Uh Um, Let's see. I'm a massive Kobe fan and uh, not an NBA fan, a Kobe fan specifically. Uh, I'm a big libertarian, which everybody probably knows because I I hate the government and it's all over online, of course. So, all parties. Um, And uh, and I, uh, I, you know, I love my kids. I want my full focus is on teaching my kids and trying to be able to show them the right ways of financial freedom and groom their mindset uh, in the mindset that I never had growing up. My dad. You know was also a CPA, but worked you know for for uh, you know a company doing that stuff. and I you know he worked hard. he was amazing, but didn't have the you know entrepreneur mindset that a lot of people have where um you know, entrepreneurs can groom their kids to have that same type of freedom mm-hmm. to and empower them to be able to do whatever they want to do uh, across the board. And that's one thing I really love doing. and the last thing is that, Nobody's going to beat me at poker, so I'm a really good poker player. But
0: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so That's Texas Hold'em
1: specifically won't so. even try.
0: <laughs> I probably probably I couldn't beat anybody at poker, but no. I so Kobe fan, but you don't, but not basketball fan. And like just because of his mindset.
1: Yeah, I've had his basketball card on my desk for f- literally 15 years because when shit gets hard in real estate or business or whatever it is. It's that Mamba mentality to come back and like, no, focus, drive, have that ferocity that will get you there. And when, when that, when you're reminded of that at your low points, you, it gives you power you know, to be able to get through it. And like having those little reminders, sometimes everybody needs them, you know, everybody yeah. needs that, of course. And, and that mentality meant a lot to me as far as like, hey, hustle and grind. And, you know, the, the stories about him practicing before everybody else and showing up at 7am with, you know, ice on his knees, because he just practiced for four hours for the all star game, you know, and stuff like right. that, like, right. just that mentality. Yeah. So yeah
0: no, I I get it I the funny thing so I mean I'm from Boston so uh I ah. I, I can't be a Lakers fan but I have become a, a Kobe fan because of that stuff like that so it's it it and I and I lived in Los Angeles when when he unfortunately uh passed away so I yeah. I you know was part of that but but yeah I, I think just I I very I'm always very interested in the mindset of of these elite athletes and what they do, like I, being from Boston, I'm like huge Tom, Tom, Brady fan. And he's the same thing. It's just like, what, what, what do you really need to do to, to achieve the success? Like, do you, do you really want it? Because there's, there's something to be, there's some sacrifices to be made if you do. So uh, I think, and Kobe and Brady and Michael Jordan, and like these guys, they, they do that you know, and th- I think, they take it to I, that level.
1: I think the, one of the things that to, to really note about some of these people that do this on this level and have that level of drive and that level of commitment, um, you realize how it affects people around you and everyone else where, you know, if I drive and I have this mentality and I go through and I'm, you know, strong, uh, emotionally, even though I still have my weak points, like everybody, you know, and, um, and, and I'm that that center of influence for my family just like kobe or brady or anybody else on that kind of level um and i'm nowhere near kobe in real estate but you know like but not trying to compare the two at all but right, right. but anyway so just you know, it, just
0: it, goals just right that, just goals yeah, just goals, yeah. So, <laughs>
1: but at the end of the day um it you realize how they influence everybody like when kobe passed away the entire city, the entire world mourned because of the, it wasn't his basketball skill sets that did that. It was his drive, his mindset and the, the, you know, kind of exposure to that, that he gave everybody and the uplift that he gave everybody around him when he, when he was on that kind of focus level, you know, because that really permeates everybody else and we're all just made of energy. So it, it spreads to everybody in your network when you have that energy in your life. So focusing on that is really one of the best ways to help yeah. other people is to be the example you want to be, right? So, And realizing what that does every day for the people around you as far as your mindset goes, right? So,
0: Yeah, 100% agree. Um, Matthew, when people hear this and they want to reach out to you, what's what's the best way?
1: Uh, you can email me at invest at ocgproperties.com. That's uh, the best way to get a hold of us. So uh, we have lending and flipping and do all types of different stuff with investors. So if you want to talk about how we can help or different strategies we can help deploy, then reach out and you know we'll help. You know if we can't help, we'll try to point you in the right right direction to people who can. So
0: perfect. And then final question for you: What piece of advice would you give to someone who is, you know, getting started in real estate? You know, try, trying to figure out you know where to where to where to. Get, where, what avenue to pick, whatever it is, whatever you think would would be beneficial to someone, you know, kind of getting going.
1: I think it's a couple of things. The first thing is networking, like I was mentioning, because when you're networking, you find out all the ways other people make money and it gives you ideas of what things stick out to you that you might be interested in or focused on. And then it comes down to a massive amount of education about those topics and going to every piece of education content you can find about those topics and learning. And then it comes down to so the the networking, the education, and then the doing, right? Actually going out and if you have to work for free by managing someone's construction project so that you can go to Home Depot and Lowe's and all the other supplier companies yourself and pick out materials and know exactly what everything costs and learn every aspect of the operation of a renovation, then work for free to do that. It's the best education you'll ever have. Don't expect that. You know, if you go to a contractor and say I'll be at your project every single day to help you manage. The construction of this and report to you exactly what's going on and help you go buy materials, all of this for free. I just want to learn. Not a single contractor that I know, unless you're just shady and you're not coming across right, is gonna say no to you, you know, mm-hmm. if you're just like this is my mindset. So that aspect of things or or working in someone's syndication saying, Do you need me to call investors? Do you need me to go and and you know help you with operational management on this side? put me in tasks and I'll do it all for free because I want to learn how to do this. You know, if I earn my way in, then you pay me what, what I'm I'm worth at that time. And don't worry about it. You know, maybe it'll be on a future deal or something like that. Once I show you what, uh, you know, my skill sets are, those are the yeah. things immediately that I would be doing uh, from the, from a beginning investor standpoint. Yeah, that's,
0: that's perfect. That's perfect. Uh, listen, this has been fantastic. I mean, I, I have learned a lot. I think this will be a great one for, for people uh, to listen to multiple times. So um, people, when you hear this one, please uh, leave a rating, like, subscribe, comment, all of that. Um, I, I think this this is going to be phenomenal. So thank you so much for for coming on. Thank you for, for being a part of the show. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, well, we'll sign off. I'd like to show you why knowing your why The Know Your Why podcast is made for you.